Good morning, church. How's everyone doing? Good? Well, good morning. It's good to be in church, isn't it? I love it. I love to be here. You know, so often I'm on here on stage uh, leading worship, and uh, it's a gift to be with you guys in the congregation, worshiping together, doing what Colossians 2 says really clearly, that as we gather that the word of Christ would dwell with us richly and that we would sing together uh, uh, songs and hymns and psalms and spiritual songs. That's what we do as a church when we come together and sing. It's not about this crew up here. The crew on stage is pretty awesome, aren't they? We're really blessed with the great worship team here at Harvest, but it's about us. Yeah, we can give them a, let's give them a round of applause. We can do that. I'm the worship pastor, so I'm just going to be extra and brag on them, but it's not about our amazing team. It's about our amazing God, and that as we come together, we are called to sing. And... Um, Yeah, so I'm really excited uh, to bring God's word today. My name's uh, Taylor. Like I said, I'm our worship pastor. Uh, If you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn to the book of Jonah. Uh, it's It's a little bit difficult of a book to find. It's pretty small, but it's there near the end of the Old Testament. And um, so you can turn your Bible there as we prepare to receive from God's word, where today we're going to be aiming to tear down the stronghold of despair. Now, despair is defined um, as an utter loss of hope. It's the absence of hope. It's hopelessness. And I know you came to church this morning and you're probably looking for some good news, for an uplifting message. And we'll get there. But today we're going to tear down hopelessness. And even as I was just talking to someone in the cafe uh, just before this service, speaking about the, the hopelessness that many of us face and the hopelessness of this world. But last night I was uh, reading the news of things that are happening in the Middle East and, and with Israel and Palestine. And, and man, it just weighs heavy on you, the hopelessness and the despair of this world. And as I think about hopelessness and despair, I can't help but think of a man named Franz Jägerstatter. Now, Franz Jägerstatter was an Austrian peasant farmer who lived in the earliest, early 20th century. And he was living a simple, uh, happy life as a successful farmer, as a community leader. He had a wife and he had three kids. But when the Germans invaded Austria in 1938, Franz's hope of a bright future for his family and his farm came to a halt. Now, it wasn't because he died in the war. It wasn't because of the economic turmoil that came as a result of World War II. It was because... um, When he was drafted to serve in the Nazi army, he refused to make an oath to Hitler. This is what the oath, uh, uh, how it went, that he was told to say. The oath read, I swear to God this holy oath that I shall render unconditional obedience to the leader of the German Reich and people, Adolf Hitler, supreme commander of the armed forces, and that as a brave soldier I shall at all times be prepared to give my life for this oath. Now, by refusing to take this oath, Franz um, alienated his family from the community. He brought shame upon his family, so much so that the priest at his local parish begged him to change his mind and to commit to take this oath. And after three years of delays and a false sense of hope that maybe he'd be able to avoid serving in the army or the inevitable, he was sentenced to death. And as he faced death, his last recorded words were, I am completely bound in utter and inner union with the Lord. 
Now, Franz's life is depicted in a movie that's called A Hidden Life. It's a really powerful movie. And in this movie, we see this heartbreaking story unfold as Franz and his wife, Franziska, battle the despair and hopelessness of their circumstances. But the thing that I love about this story is as they face utter loss of hope, a hope of a good life, a successful life, a happy family, a long life taken away, that in the face of that, they have an unwavering hope in the gospel and their commitment to do what God called them to do was unchanging. Now, man, I know that's a heavy story to, tar- to start out today's message. But I tell that story because I know that as we come to church, that so often that we walk in with losses of hope, with things that we have put stock and hope in, and they've been taken away. We've put hope in things like financial stability, or even that money would make us happy. We've put our hope in relationships and their successes and what they can give us. We put our hope in our career. We put our hope in our, in our home and its value. We put our hope in all these things that so easily and quickly, the hope of them is taken away. But what if, what if in the losses of hope that we face in this life, it were possible to not let those things lead us to hopelessness and despair? Do you believe that that is possible? Have you experienced that to be true for yourself? And I ask that question because quite honestly, uh, as we come to today's message, this would really be my stronghold. As I look at all the ones, the topics that we're gonna be talking through in the series, this is the one where I'm like, oh, that's me. And of course, that's the one I was asked to preach. That's not by coincidence. And maybe you feel stuck in despair even in this moment. Maybe you've felt that before. Maybe this is your stronghold that you can identify. And today I just wanna invite you to see and to know and to experience that there is hope. Hope is available. We don't have to stay in despair. So let me pray for us and then we'll turn to the story of Jonah. Heavenly Father, we come before you now and um, God, as we open your word, we ask that your word would speak, that your word would convict, that your word would encourage, that just like 2 Timothy says, that the word of God has been given so that the man of God would be complete. And when we talk about hope and despair today, God, would you complete and change us and tear down the stronghold of hopelessness and despair by the power of uh, Jesus and the power of your spirit and the power of your word. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, now that we're all cheered up, let's turn to the story of Jonah. So as we come to the book of Jonah, who in the room would say that you're familiar with the story of Jonah? All right, I'm assuming anyone who's not raising their hand is like just choosing to not raise their hand. They know the story. Everyone knows the story of Jonah. So much so that my my three-year-old son, like in his children's Bible, the one he got from his child dedication actually, he can like recite most of the story from memory. Like it's in the top three for him. Number one, without a doubt, is David and Goliath. And every night I'm pleading with him not to read that story again. And then it's, uh, you know, we got Joseph in the lion's den. Or no, Daniel in the lion's den. He knows the Bible better than I do at this point. And then right after that, it's the story of Jonah. And so I know it's a super familiar story. But I should invite you to lean into this story and don't let the familiarity take away from its ability to speak to you today. And so we're going to pick up right in Jonah 2, Jonah 2 verse 1. And at this point in the story, Jonah is in the belly of the the fish. But briefly, um, I just want to walk us through what brings us to this moment. What what sets the table for the prayer that Jonah prays in Jonah 2? 
Now Jonah, who's the, the main character of the book of Jonah, obviously, Jonah, son of Amittai, his name means silly, senseless son of faithfulness, which is fitting because Jonah is a silly, senseless, rebellious prophet. See, God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh to call out the people's evil, to bring them a message of impending judgment that they need to change and repent. But what does he do? Anyone? Yeah, he runs away. He goes in the opposite direction. Jonah 1 in verses 3 and 10, it actually says this. He was fleeing not just from the city of Nineveh, but he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. He goes on a boat headed in the opposite direction of where God called him to go. And as God uses a storm to try and get a hold of his attention and to get him to change his direction, Jonah ultimately would rather choose to drown and die than do what God is telling him to do. Jonah is a picture of a man in despair. A man whose hope is utterly lost. And in his despair and impending death, Jonah 1.17 says, um, as he's drowning at the, the, the floor of the, the ocean, it says, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And this is where we find Jonah in chapter 2, where he prays this prayer, or really sings this, this hymn, the hymn of a man who's in despair. Now, the Bible Project, which is a really helpful resource if you're looking for a, a, a great way to engage more in understanding God's Word, when they talk about the book of Jonah, they say that the book of Jonah holds a mirror up to the reader. And in Jonah, we see the worst parts of ourselves. So as we look at Jonah in this moment, I would encourage you not just to look at a man who lived thousands and thousands of years ago, but to allow the Word of God to be a mirror and for us to put ourselves in Him and to see the hopelessness and the jagged edges of our souls. And it's in this prayer that we see Jonah climbs out of despair into hope. So if it's a mirror, let us examine ourselves and consider what steps we need to take to do the same, to climb out of despair and to enter into hope. So read with me in Jonah 2, verse 1. Jonah 2, verse 1, it says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. Now we're going to see five things in Jonah's prayer that in order to climb out of despair, we must take these steps. And the first thing in order to climb out of despair, I must reach out to God. Reach out to God. Jonah is in distress. That word in Jonah 2 verse 1 is also translated trouble, anguish, suffering, Jonah says, out of the belly of Sheol I cry, which basically means he's saying, I'm in the face of death. I'm about to die. I'm about to enter eternity. And that ultimately is the description of despair, of the absence of hope. And it's in this place that Jonah reaches out to God. Now when Jonah reaches out to God, what does the text say? It says, God, God answers. God, God hears him. And when we are in despair... When we feel like we're facing death, when we feel crushed and troubled and in suffering and distress, we ought to reach out to God. That is the first step that we need to take whenever we're in that place of despair. 1 John 5 speaks about the importance of this. 1 John 5.14 says, And this is the confidence that we have toward Him, God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. God calls us 
to ask for help. That when we are in need, to tell him the need that we have, that he'll hear us and answer us. And when it comes to this idea, there's this, this pendulum of our view of prayer, or this dichotomy of this idea in 1 John. That when it comes to prayer, one way that we could view prayer is that uh, God's like a genie, right? We just ask him specifically what we want, and he'll give us exactly that thing. But that's not how God works, right? That's not a proper view of prayer. But if we swing the pendulum the other way, the other way that we could view prayer is that there's no point in praying, that prayer doesn't do anything, that God is sovereign, his will is final, like the story is written. So what am I praying for? Because I can't, I can't change the story or what's going to happen. And, and that's also not true. And it's a bit of a mystery. But what I do know is that God calls us to pray, to ask for help, to reach out when we are in need. And that when we do that, that it moves him to action, that it moves him to provide us help and what we need. Uh, Tim Keller says it this way. This quote has stuck with me for a few years now. That God will either give us what we ask or give us what we would have asked if we knew everything he knows. That that idea of God says, ask and he'll answer. Now, when we ask God for something, he may not give us the specific thing we prayed for in our prayer, but he'll give us what we need. He'll answer the prayer that we need to pray. And we need to reach out to him and get the help that we need. He has the answers. He is the solution that we're looking for. He will provide for our need. And as I think about the importance of reaching out for help, now I know there's some men in the room who are like just incredibly uh, good at everything and knowledgeable and wise and handy. And so when you do things, uh, you just figure it out, right? That, that cliche and idea of like the manual, I'm not reading the manual, like throw out the manual and just help figure out how to put, put it together. Honesty in church, not me. That is not me. I'm like glued to the manual and not just that, but when the manual doesn't make sense to me or there's not enough pictures to show me what act, uh, act, uh, specifically to do, I go to my good friend Google or YouTube, and I'm like, all right, exact model number, my serial number, how do I put this thing together? And there's like hundreds of videos of guys who will tell me how to do it. It's amazing. Praise the Lord for the internet. I'd be helpless without it. 2021, it's, it's a difficult time to live, but thankful for the help that's available through the internet. And even if it's not just like repairs or fixing things, like when we have a question, it's like, oh, what was that one movie that like Tom Hanks was in? Google it. Uh, Tom Hanks was old, then he was a kid again. What movie is that? Oh, that's big. Great. Uh, we do that all the time, right? It's like, what's the random bit of knowledge I'm looking for? Oh, just Google it. And that knowledge, the help, the, the, th the thing that we're looking for is available just at the click, uh, quick click of a button. And, and who's quick to Google something? Like, if you're just like, I have a random question, like, I'm just Googling it. Like now even like I got my watch, so if I'm like, what's that Bible verse that says this? I've forgotten, I'm preaching right now and I need to say it. There it is. Like even when we're looking, even when we're reaching out for help from God, isn't our first step a lot like Googling, like Bible verses on hope, Bible verses on despair, which is great. It's so good. But let us not replace looking for the fulfillment of our need and the help that we're looking for and reach out to God. Pray, ask him for it. He tells us to. Now, the second uh, step that we must take in order to climb out of despair is this, that we must identify the downward spiral. Here's the thing about despair. 
see, despair is, it's a, it's a vague feeling. It's this like abstract, general state of being and living that you feel in. But when, when it comes to despair, it's not like a lot of strongholds and sins where it's like really clear, like this is the sin that I committed. This is the thing that I did. This is how the stronghold is there. I committed the sin. See, despair, it's a, it's a little bit more difficult than that to figure out uh, what got us there. When we find ourselves in despair and without hope, we find ourselves asking ourselves, how did I get here? Like, I feel what I feel, and I know that I'm in this place of utter loss of hope, but what, what got me here? And this makes me think about uh, the way that habits work in our brains. And, and forgive me if you're in the room and you're smart, because I'm not very smart. I don't claim to be like a neurologist or, or a brain scientist or anything like that, but I read a book a few years ago about habits, and so I'll do my best to like re-explain what I learned about habits. But the way that I believe that they work is this, is that habits are like grooves and paths in our brain. That when we take actions and do things, that they become a new path in our brain. And the more that we do them, the deep, more deeply ingrained that path becomes. So much so that what our brain wants to do when it's like, oh, you do this thing all the time, like it just wants to go on autopilot and, and let you do it without thinking. Like it wants to use the, the least amount of brain power as, as possible. So for example, have you ever had this feeling of when you're uh, driving home and you pull into your driveway and you're like, how did I get here? I wasn't even really like thinking consciously about like the turns that I took and the path that I took to got, get here, but I got here. I got home again. Am I alone in that? Is that just me? Is that weird? No, I think that's... And that's, that's how our habits work. And, and truthfully, despair is a lot like this. That if you are someone who struggles with despair, that this is your stronghold, that you find yourself regularly at the destination of despair, that it's so easy to be there and not recognize what got you there. And so we're going to look at these next few verses in Jonah's prayer and see this downward spiral of despair. And so these five steps down the downward spiral of despair, the first step is this, I'm hitting rock bottom. I'm hitting rock bottom. In Jonah's prayer in verse 3, he says, for you cast me into the deep. It's important to realize that despair doesn't just happen suddenly. See, in Jonah 1, we see many instances of directional language that reveal to us how Jonah arrived at despair. It says that he went down to Joppa. He descended away from the direction that God was calling him to go. It said he went down into a boat that was heading in the opposite direction. It says that he fled from the presence of the Lord. It says he had gone down into the inner part of the boat to go into a deep sleep, down and further away from God and further away from obedience and deeper into despair. And, and he told the sailors uh, on the boat when that, that storm came and they're like, what the heck do we do? And he's like, guys, just throw me off the boat. Just, just kill me. Just throw me deeper into my despair. So much so that I'm like, just, I'm just going to die. Throw me down in the sea. And the near-death experience and distress that's described in uh, chapter 2, verse 1, it's because Jonah took many steps down into despair. Despair does not just happen. It's, it's, a, it's a series of steps and actions away from God's presence and what God's calling us to do. And he was hitting rock bottom. His prayer continues in verse 3. He says, into the heart of the seas and the flood surrounded me. One translation says here that things were churning around him. And this is the second step down the downward 
a spiral of despair. I'm out of control. Do you ever feel like that? Like everything's churning around you, like everything is out of control, like you're drifting without direction, there's motion without meaning, there's activity without clarity, there's pressure without purpose. You just feel swept along by the outside forces of life. And that, that's despair. That's the absence of hope. And the third thing, similarly, down the downward spiral of despair is I'm overwhelmed. Again, in verse 3, Jonah prays, all your waves and your billows passed over me. I'm overwhelmed. Have you ever felt like that in despair? Like the thing that I'm facing, I just can't do it. This situation that I'm in exceeds my capacity and my abilities. I'm out of my depth. I, I, I can't handle it. I'm overwhelmed. And further down despair, Jonah continues to go, as do we, as the next thing that we see in this downward spiral of despair is that he says, I'm rejected and alone. In verse 4, Jonah prays, then I said, I'm driven away from your sight. And he's talking about God. He's saying that the God that I feel uh, rejected from you, from your presence, I feel isolated and alone. Jonah felt far from God and no longer acceptable or welcome. Despair has a way of doing this. Despair has a way of saying, I'm rejected and alone when the reality is that I've isolated myself and I've rejected others. I've rejected God. That's what despair does. I feel rejected and alone, but it's not because people have rejected me and I'm alone. It's because I have rejected others and I've isolated myself. And the last step on the downward spiral of despair is that I'm giving, I'm giving up. In verse 5, Jonah laments, The waters closed in over, over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down, down further in despair, right? To the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Now this is a, he's talking again about Sheol. It's, when the Hebrews talked about Sheol, it was like this, uh, this thing that they passed into from life to death where like there were grates or prison bars, right, where you enter into that. And so he's hit rock bottom. He's giving up. He's like, I give up. I'm dying. I'm going to die. I'm alone. I'm done. And I just want to ask, is this you? Is this you today? Or is this you last week? Is this you finding yourself feeling and thinking this way in a pit of despair? Maybe you're like me and you're like, yeah, that's totally me. Like, I totally get what Jonah's going through. Or maybe you're like, man, Jonah's annoying and dramatic and believing all these lies. Like, get it together, man. Your circumstances aren't as hard as you're making them. Like, you're, you're making them such a bigger deal than they are. And absolutely he is. But isn't that what despair does? Despair makes the circumstances and things that we're facing feel they're amplified and they're bigger than they actually are. And in hindsight, we can look back at the things that led us to despair and we're like, that wasn't that big of a deal. What was I making it such a big deal about? But in the moment, it's just like, you're just like Jonah. Oh, I'm going to die. I'm done. I can't, I can't do it. And, you know, as I, th I think about that, it's uh, easy for me to, to think about school. And I know it's May, uh, and I know there's like a bunch of graduation stuff happening now. So congrats. I know we got some seniors up front. Congrats, guys, for graduating high school. You did it. You made it. Now you got college. Good luck. And there are other people in the room, maybe you graduated college, or you just got to the end of another school year. Congratulations. Such a great feeling when you reach that end point. But you know what's not the best feeling? 
the few weeks before the semester ends. And I can like vividly remember in college, like the last two weeks where it's like, I have all these papers and all these projects and all these exams. And like, it's, it's embarrassing to talk about because you're like, for real, like college, it's not that big of a deal, dude. Like you, you made it through it, you're an adult now, it's okay. But in that moment, in that place, I can remember just being overwhelmed at all, by all that needed to be done. I remember being on the phone with my older brother who had graduated from the same college. I mean, I'm like, dude, I'm not gonna make it. I'm gonna fail every single class. I'm going to get thrown out of school. I'm never going to be a pastor. I'm going to be a failure. I can't do it, dude. I just, I give up. I can't. He's like, dude, just, just write the paper. Just do it. It's going to be okay. You're going to survive. You're going to make it. I'm like, no, dude, I'm not. Can't do it. And I did. I made it. I graduated college. Such a good feeling. I made it out of the belly of Sheol that was Moody Bible Institute. <laughs> Hopefully no one from that school hears that. I love that school. That made it out. And in that place, it's important, it's important for us, like even as I've done revisionist history, looking back and seeing how I blew things out of proportion and, and put myself in this box and was believing all these lies, and it's important for us to recognize and identify the downward spiral of despair that we can take, but we don't just identify it so we can look back and laugh about it or even like wallow in it, like, oh man, I'm such a failure, I struggle with despair. No, no, no. We identify the downward spiral of despair so that we can shift our focus and that the next time that despair, the next time we face it, the next time we're tempted towards it, the next time hope is lost in something in this life, that instead of fixing our eyes on the hopelessness and the circumstances in ourselves, that we would fix our eyes on the goodness of God. And that's the third step. In order to climb out of despair, I must fix my eyes on the goodness of God. We identify the spiral so that I can rightly see the goodness of God. And Jonah does that in his prayer. I skipped over a few of the parts. So let's get to the, get to the good parts. Get away from the wallowing in despair. So when he's saying, like, I feel rejected and alone, like, God, I'm, I'm, I'm never going to be in your presence again. But verse 4b says, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. God, I'm going to be in your presence again. I'm going to make it there. I know, God, that you are good. And that you welcome me into your presence again, because you are good. Fix our eyes on the goodness of God. Um, when he's talking about, I'm so overwhelmed, I'm out of control, I'm at rock bottom. Verse 6b says, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Like when Jonah's praying this prayer, he's already begun to climb out of despair. And that's because God rescued him, right? When he's praying this prayer, he's not praying it while he's drowning. He's praying when this big fish has come up and swallowed him. And sometimes we can think about being swallowed by a big fish and it's like, that's not great. Like that's further down rock bottom. But when God provides the fish and swallows him, that's God being good and rescuing him and delivering him from the pit of despair. We need to fix our eyes on the goodness of God. When he says, I'm giving up, I feel like I'm literally dying. I'm going to Sheol. But verse 7, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. My prayer came to you, into your holy temple. We fix our eyes on the goodness of God to climb out of the downward spiral of despair. And I sit a lot with uh, young people in high school and in college and who, like myself, maybe they come to despair based on circumstances in their life, some little, some big. 
whether it's school or a, a relationship or something in their family or just something that they feel, and just that utter loss of hope begins to creep in. And when I'm not in a place of despair, it's easy to be like, it's, it's going to be okay. It's all right. Like, look to the goodness of God. Hasn't God provided before? Hasn't God brought you through it before? You need to fix your eyes on his goodness. You need to shift your perspective. And so I can't help but uh, direct themselves as I do my own heart to the words of Philippians 4. In Philippians 4 verse 8, when it says, Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And all those things are the goodness of God towards us. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. We need to fix our eyes on the goodness of God and we will begin to climb out of that downward spiral of despair. And the next thing we see in Jonah's prayer is that in order to climb out of despair, I must place my hope in the grace of God exclusively. When we fix our eyes on his goodness, we will properly recognize his grace and we will rightly place our hope in it alone. See, Jonah's prayer turns in verse 8 as he says, Those who regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Now that word steadfast love in our Bible is also translated other places as grace. It's talking about the grace of God. And, and there's so much irony here in Jonah's part of the prayer. Because when Jonah's praying this, he's really primarily talking about other characters in the story. He's talking about the pagan sailors who are on the boat. He's talking about the people of Nineveh that he was told to preach to. Like, man, these people are such idolaters. They're sinners. They forsake the grace of God. And it's ironic because in the book of Jonah, the pagan sailors, the people of Nineveh, these are the very people who recognize their misplaced hope in idols and in other things and embrace the grace of God. See, Jonah's so focused on the others in the story that he misses that his hope is misplaced. He fails to recognize his sin because he's so focused on others' sin. And the pagans, they may have worshipped and hoped in literal idols, but Jonah paid to idols too. He paid to figurative idols. Jonah's idol was himself. Jonah's idol was his way. Jonah's idol was his view of God, his ideal, who he believed deserved the grace of God and how it was given. And he found himself in despair because he had wrongly placed his hope in himself. He wrongly placed his hope in things other than the grace of God. Isn't it so easy for us to do that, to place our hope in other things? And beyond that, it's so easy for us to not see it in ourselves, but see it in others. I know, that, I know there's a lot of parents in the room. When it comes to parenting, like, we really want to parent well, especially those of us who love God. Like, it's such a high calling and responsibility to raise kids, and we want them to love Jesus. And with our son, we named him Shepherd in part because we see and know and pray for the importance of, like, God, would you be his shepherd? Would we as parents shepherd his heart to recognize the grace of God and to walk in the way of the Lord? And so as a parent, it's really easy for me to see my kids' sin, to see his idols. It's really easy for me to be like, shepherd, you're being selfish right now. Shepherd, you're being bossy right now. 
Like we're in the store yesterday, um, and while mom's shopping around for Mother's Day, we're, we're in the toy section, you know, kind of uh, just wasting time, and he's got like arms full of toys, like, I want all of these. I'm like, uh, how about one or two? Let's go with that. But he's such an idolater. I see it. But guess what? So am I. And rather than being so focused on his sin, which is there, and it's my responsibility to shepherd and to, to straighten out the bends, which ultimately God will do, but I can't fail to recognize, man, I'm an idolater too. Like there are many things that I wrongly place my hope in, and they will always let us down. They will always let us down. Proverbs thirteen twelve says it this way. Love is first. It says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. When our hearts and souls are left sick, empty, despairing, that's because our hope is misplaced. It's because our hope is placed in things of this world, earthly things, things that will leave us feeling empty and sick and without hope. We're placing our hope in the wrong things, but the verse doesn't just end there. It's not just like, hey, you place your hope in wrong things, your heart's going to be sick and empty and sorry. No, it's like there, there is hope that is available for us to find. It says a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. And the hope and fulfillment of desires that our souls long for, it's possible to find it. And a hope that brings life and sustains hope, hope that does not run dry, is found in God. And we need to recognize it and the grace of God and embrace it. Romans 5 talks about this, this hope that is available for us to find that will not run dry. Romans 5 verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and an endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. See, church, that Jesus Christ lived the perfect life. He died the death that we deserved, that we were meant to die, so that we could find hope exclusively in his grace and his love and his mercy that was poured out on the cross in his death and in his resurrection, that we can embrace that hope by faith. And I love how that verse says, that hope will not put us to shame. It will never let us down. It's a hope that we can hold on to. See, when everything else in life leaves us hopeless, everything else that we're like, man, I'm, I put my stock and hope in that happening, when that lets us down, because it always will. Romans 5 says that the hope that's found in the grace of God can bring us through the hopelessness of the rest of life. And I'll just challenge you in this moment, place your hope in the grace of God today. His grace alone. And when you do that, when that's when, where our hope is placed, it'll be evidenced and clear and apparent in the way that we live. If our hope is placed in the grace of God, it will show in the way that we live. See, a life of worship is the truest expression of hope. A life that is lived in worship to God is the evidence and proof of where our hope is placed. And this is the last step that we must take in order to climb out of despair into hope. If we have climbed out of despair in order to embrace the hope that is found in the grace of Jesus and the gospel, then let's live like it. Let's live lives of worship to that God 
And that's the last thing, that we express hope through worship. In order to climb out of despair into hope, I must express hope through worship. And this is what Jonah does in the last sentence of his prayer. In Jonah 2, verse 9, Jonah ends his prayer and says, But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And in this verse, we see Jonah now expressing the hope and saying that he will live a life of worship. And we see this life of worship play out in three ways. This is what it means, church, for us to live lives of worship, to express the hope that we have found in the grace of God in the way that we live. Three things here in that verse. The first is this. A life of worship means gratitude, which is worship with hindsight. Gratitude. It's saying, thank you, God, for all that you've done. That expressing hope through a life of worship means that we can say, God, thank you for all the goodness that you've given to us. The second thing a life of worship means here in this verse is uh, faith. And faith is worship with foresight. It's saying, God, I trust you to do what you say you will do. I'm trusting for you to do what you say you'll do in the future. And Jonah says that when he says salvation belongs to the Lord. Like he's like, God, you will do the thing that you say you'll do. Hebrews 11.1 1 says this, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That by being a people who lives by faith, believing in the word of God and acting upon it, no matter how I feel, because God promises a good result. And we will live with faith, trusting in that for the future. Which leads us to the third thing that a life of worship means, which is obedience. And obedience is worship with insight. It's doing what God calls me to do in the present, in this moment. Because church, if we have gratitude, if we can say, thank you, God, for all the things that you've done and we recognize it. If we can say, God, I have faith. I will worship you and trust in what you will do in the future. Then it leads us to obedience. And obedience is worship. Let us not miss out of that. A life of worship is not just standing and singing songs at church or posting Bible verses. It is evidenced in the way that we live with obedience. Romans, um, Romans 12 in verse 1 shows us that. It shows us that obedience is worship. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Church, a life of worship is marked by gratitude, faith, and obedience. And this is the clearest expression of our rightly placed hope. If our hope is placed exclusively in the grace and mercy of God, then it'll show in the way that we live. It is the fruit of a person who has climbed from despair into hope. It is the foundation of a life. If we want to live a life and remain rooted in the hope of God, not shifted to and throw like Jonah down the downward spiral of despair, but unshaken with hope in a hopeless world, we need to express hope through worship. And I want to ask you today as we come to a close, do you have hope? Do you have hope? Do you live with hope? Do you believe that there's a hope in a hopeless world, that when you are let down, when you are disappointed, when the things of this world and the people of this world and ourselves and our will let us down, that we can have a hope 
in a hopeless world. See, today, if you like Jonah and like me, if you find yourself somewhere along that downward spiral of despair, would you reach out to God? Reach out to God. He hears you. He wants to help. He's there. Ask him. Would you fix your eyes on the goodness of God, the grace of God, that he's protected and provided for you to bring you to this moment? Do you know that? If you're in the room right now, it's not by coincidence. God has sustained the breath in your lungs. He has sustained you to live for a purpose and for a reason. And so that it's when in this, the hopelessness of this life that you would see that there's hope found in him. That he sent his son to die on the cross in order to rescue you from the pit of despair. So would we put our trust and our hope in him alone? Would we set aside the other things that we're tempted to place our hope in and begin to express hope through a life of worship marked by gratitude, faith, and obedience? See, Jonah, Jonah spiraled into despair. He ran away from God, he was disobedient, and he spiraled down into the utter loss of hope. And God in his grace took him into the darkness of the belly of the whale. And it was in the darkness that Jonah came out the other side alive again to hope. And as we look at the story of Jonah, I can't help but think of the story of Jesus. That Jesus stood in the face of despair, but he refused to give in it. That Jesus obediently and willingly went to die on the cross for our hopelessness. And he bore the weight of the despair of the whole world, yet refused to lose hope in order to rise again. And he went into darkness and the depths of hell for three days, into darkness just like Jonah. But he came out the other side so that you could have hope, so that I could have hope, so that we would have an eternal hope that we would never be without hope again. So let's embrace that hope, will we? Will you embrace that hope today? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we come before you now. God, we reach out to you and we say that we quickly and easily are driven to despair and lose hope. God, but in this moment, we fix our eyes on your goodness and your grace and your mercy that you've brought us to this moment, that you've provided, that you've sustained in order that we would see your grace, God. The hope that's available on the cross is available for us today. So God, I pray that as we seek to live life's, lives of worship that express the hope where our hope is rightly placed, would it begin now that we'll close our time in worship and stand and declare that our hope is found in you alone. Our help is found in you alone. In a hopeless, dark, divided, evil world, would we not give in to the losses of hope that surround us and even encroach upon us, but would we fix our hope and our gaze on you alone? I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.